0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hey, hello, everybody, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me alongside Grail Hallett. He is uh, what are you? You're like a media executive, Grail, former Mighty Mite of the midfield, and our OTB producer and Syria expert. Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, I'm excited about this one. We get to talk to the head coach of the University of Massachusetts, Fran O'Leary. Fran has uh, put together a new online course called Inside College Athletic Recruitment and it's packed full of stuff that uh, that helps with the whole recruiting process. So we talked to coach about that uh during COVID times, like how do you pick a guy when he's in high school to 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 you know, to come into the college ranks, uh, all the foibles, all the the ups and downs of, of what it takes to get a player and dealing with parents and, you know, and academics and everything. So there's a lot there, there. Uh, Fran has coached for 28 years in the college ranks at every different level, uh, D1, my level, D3 at Grail and Sam's level. <laughs> and I just thought I'd get that in oh, there, that's fellas. Predictable. He's also coached, uh, you know, in MLS and, uh, he was a, uh, a scout for, for the Rovers, uh, Blackburn Rovers. So the guy's got a world of experience and we talk to him today about all of that. So uh, looking forward to that. So a lot going on though, guys, Champions League happening, the EPL stuff. So uh, first of all, before we get going on all of that, what are you over today on Over the Ball?
2: Uh, Sam, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm over the the trend of I don't know how long this has been going on. Of every game you see, you know you have to do you have to show the historical record of how a team has done against that team in that stadium. And a lot of articles summing up games seem to lead with that. You know, Arsenal hadn't won in 15 years. Like, do you think
1: do you think that's English, Sam, or do you think that's I don't the, know. But why itself? does
2: it matter? Like, who right. cares? Especially when the stadiums are empty now anyway. Like the amount players turn over these days. Like, no one was on the team back then. I, I don't know. I think they they think they're these like mental blocks that I, I just don't think exist. And I, I, I understand think that it's superfluous. I understand it's different that. if it's like, like a college team. Like, OK, we haven't beaten that college in 10 years. Like, you, you know, I understand it matters a lot to them, but I don't know. Otherwise, I could just I could do without it. Well, you look
1: at a team like Liverpool or Manchester United. Yeah, they always talk about the tradition that is mm-hmm. there. But you know, if you talk, let's say, maybe the NFL or baseball, Major League Baseball, the Yankees of that generation—not you know—and maybe the Yankees are the only ones, Red Sox uh, that kind of have that aura mm-hmm. about them. But uh, I, but I, I, think, I understand your point. I understand. I think your it's point, interesting
3: so. though if like Everton hadn't
2: beaten Liverpool at Anfield in like twenty years or sure, something. Sure, but like that's that. like, like a big rivalry yeah, game. Yeah. Like I understand it in certain cases. Sure, yeah. that's a fair point.
1: Yeah. All right, Grail, what do you overlay on OTP?
3: I'm over the debate on who the best striker in the world is because I I just saw Lewandowski score another hat trick oh, uh, over, the, over the weekend in Der Klassiker, and uh, again I just don't think he gets <laughs> eno- enough love in the conversation. The, the, the
1: I love you, and, German. I love you, German too. You did Der Klassiker.
3: No, I said Der Klassiker. Well, yes. I'll let you, no, you. I'll let you do it, funny, because you do. Der good Klassiker, thing. yeah, there, this there, is good. There, there we go. We go to the Hogan's Heroes. He's, um, um, he's amazing. He's great. He's just great. And he's money. The thing is, he's just like, people are just like, forget about him, I feel like.
1: And he also does a lot of things. He holds up. He holds the ball well. You know, guys play off him. And but man, you give him an opportunity, a half chance, he finishes. A quarter chance, yeah. that guy finishes. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. Hey, so I have something a little different today. Uh, I usually let you guys do what he over, but uh, we have one of our listeners, uh, a, a soccer uh, player, coach, and uh, is in the business as well. Ted Priestley. He uh, submitted something that he is over. He does not like when English announcers say after a second goal when a team goes up by two goals saying uh well they've surely sealed the deal now
2: mm. and even though
1: there's like maybe 10 to 15 minutes left in the game and i understand that because look as a player oh yeah momentum shifts and all of a sudden we've all played in those games where you're just hanging on for the last 10 minutes you got some announcer up in the booth just sitting there with his coffee or tea i guess over there but you know it's like wait shut up we, the game's done over we haven't
3: cleared you know sealed the deal yet what do you think well, well, it's also it's also a really dumb thing for an announcer to say because their whole job is to keep people watching. So that's the last right. thing you want to do is tell viewers that the game is over so they can turn off the broadcast or wherever, they're, the streaming, whatever they're doing. So again, I just don't think that's a very intelligent... network. I don't think the network would appreciate that. Yeah,
1: You're very happy. All right. Sam, Um, the Porto game yesterday, uh, Porto beats Juve on away goals. What are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, uh, pretty wild. I mean, this went to extra time and ended three two to Juve. But um, I, I mean, the reaction in Italy has been has been crazy. I mean, Juve were up a player, up a man for about the last hour of play. I think, um, after which is early. always
1: hard. That's always
2: a difficult position. Everybody yeah. they packed the net. You know, they they parked the bus. Yeah. So they were down a goal, and then they 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 scored two to make it two ones. That sent it to extra time. But I I, I mean. I, I don't know. P, you know, people are saying this was such an entertaining game and so much fun. I, I just think Juve are such a shambles right now. It's om- like I, I dislike Juve and I'm glad that they are shambles, but like <laughs> um, no one on that team wants to defend. I mean, if you saw the goal that ultimately proved the difference, I mean, it's three guys basically turning away in the wall, jumping. It goes through Ronaldo's legs. He's getting a lot of flack. For that honestly it could have gone through any of them i mean and to me yeah. that basically sums up how, what Juve want right now with andrea Pirlo as the coaches they want to be this chilled out like athleisure brand like no one wants to work hard no one wants to defend and they want to do the pretty part of the game I yeah guess, and right i, I it. mean it's a little bit like psg the sort of like mm-hmm. luxury brand look that they want to go for and uh I, I don't There was such a contrast to me from the a game on Monday, which was Inter against Atalanta, um, which a lot of people were really looking forward to. It was supposed to be this really high-scoring, you know, game in Serie A, the two highest scoring teams in the league. It ended one-nothing to Inter. And, you know, I will say it was not a very entertaining game for a neutral uh, spectator, but I mean, the way that Inter locked down that game defensively was really something. And it was just just a really stark contrast between approaches to the game and i think you know there's sure there's the entertainment value but there's also something to be said for doing something that works and is effective uh and actually you know gets you results so anyway that that's my takeaway
1: all right so to be yeah. selfish as an american uh and going back to the uve game how did
2: uh McKinney play yeah so McKenney came on as a sub i mean he's also i wouldn't say getting too much flack for this but he got nutmegged and then you know reached back and barely grazed this guy on the shoulder to give away the free kick that uh, actually led to the the goal but uh, he came on as a sub I thought he should have started if not come on much sooner than he did because yeah. Arndur who was playing in midfield for Juve has not been good at all this year and I think McKenney is far more dynamic and uh yeah I was a bit disappointed he didn't get to play more but uh, again nice. I mean I, I'm not putting any blame on him for what happened
1: God, I don't know. I think you're about to get arrested, Sam. Is that you? He's got all the, the sirens in the background? Or is well, that I, live in a, I live
2: in a town with a big Portuguese population, and there were a lot of Porto jerseys on the streets yesterday, so the celebration may, may still be Maybe continuing. it's continued, yeah. and, maybe, and it got out of hand. Somebody set something on fire because that was the a fire UV, truck. I think
1: the
3: Juve police are coming after Sam.
1: Hey, so Grail, you watched the, the Dortmund game, but what I was interested about that yeah. was uh, ABC covered it. Uh, and in a big way. What are you, what were your thoughts on the game and and the no, coverage?
3: No, they didn't cover. Well, uh, actually, are we are we talking about Champions League or are we talking about last weekend's Bundesliga match? Because those are well, two, two different. So so yes. Yeah, so yesterday, uh, Dortmund and Sevilla uh, tied two all, but Dortmund yeah. went through on aggregate uh, five four. And and just to highlight that that is, Halan ha- scored two more goals. He's now the youngest uh, player in champions league history to score 20, 20 champion league. Where goals is that kid going to wind up? Interesting. Well, all yeah. I can say is, you know, that contract is expiring at the end of this season and they're going to have to back up a Brinks truck to pay this guy because he's going to have three or four clubs. There are only going to be three or four clubs that can afford the transfer fee. I, I think it would actually, I'm not sure, Sam, would it be a transfer or would it just be a straight re? signing. I, I'm not sure actually how that's going to work out with on in any case, he's essentially like a free agent at the end of this season. And um, he's putting up numbers at that age. At, I think he's 20, which are just unbelievable. And uh, the world is his oyster is all I will say. All right. So, um, all right, so what, what games am I confusing here? Yeah, no. So, so coverage? last, so, uh, Der Klassiker was played yeah, last yeah. weekend on uh, ABC which I thought right. was interesting that ABC network uh, televised this match. And All right, had, let me guess
1: sight unseen. Were there any Americans in the broadcasting team?
3: Well, they had Taylor Twelman doing uh, color. Oh, right. Okay. With, yeah, with Derek, go. with Derek Ray. And you oh. had uh, in the, in the studio you had Kay Murray with your favorite guy, Jurgen Klinsman. You, you would not have been able to get through that broadcast. And uh, it, no. So I kept thinking like, Oh my God, I wonder if this is a precursor to ESPN trying to just showcase their chops with covering soccer again uh, in, uh, you know, in advance of making a bid for the Premier League contract, which is up next year. Um, Now that seems to be dashed because yesterday it was announced that ESPN just signed a seven year deal with the NHL. So they're going to take that from NBC Sports Network, which would lead me to believe that they probably wouldn't have the money to pay the rights fees for both the NHL and the premier league. So now I'm more inclined to think that the premier league probably stays with NBC sports network, because that's kind of a tent pole. Um, you know, just contract for the champions so, league with uh, yeah.
1: CBS and, and paramount. Yeah. 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 So anyway,
3: fans. I thought yeah. it was a really good broadcast. I thought they did an excellent job. They put a lot of money and promotion behind it. And of course it was a great, it was just a great showcase because you know, Halan scored two goals in the first nine minutes to go up two 0 and then Lewandowski oh. scores a hat trick, three of the final four goals as oh. they come roaring back to win it. So it was great. I was just very happy for for the for ABC and for ESPN Plus and instead Oh, and Lewandowski
1: just, showing the kid what's, what's you know. The, and the I thought it was a great too.
3: showcase for the Bundesliga too, which again we we talk about a fair amount here, and it doesn't yeah. get enough attention over here
1: perhaps it will perhaps it will because there's more and more soccer being shown uh the Polisic watch this is uh really kind of a, a bummer you know he had done so well there for a while and now he's just scrambling for minutes we talked about it last week about how getting subbed at the 89th minute why uh you know when i sort of defended it saying you're giving a kid some minutes getting used to crowds getting used to the stadium getting used to getting on the field you know so you go through the whole thing you know once Come on, Polisic's well
3: past. that point. So it's embarrassing. Of the, he comes out at the 89th minute. I do think there were three minutes is three minutes of stoppage time. So maybe you got four minutes. But yeah, so he's essentially he's played. I saw, I think it was in the athletic they were mentioning, or soccer America, he's played 134 minutes out of a possible 810 since yeah. Tuchel has been there. And the and the thing that's most concerning, I if I were Polisic, the fact that Tuchel said after the match, I can't start, I'm not starting him because he's too good as sub and he can, he can make a better impact across 20 to 30 minutes than he can as a starter. And I'm like, if I'm Christian Pulisic, that's not what I want my coach to be saying. Yeah, yeah. I wonder so if we'll he'll see. wind up
1: with, uh, with with Klopp again. There I think he could go to Liverpool. Was...
3: I, yeah. I really do. Cause Klopp wanted him, you know, yeah. previously. So, so we'll see, have to see what happens, but I, but I feel for him. You know? Speaking
1: of Liverpool, sort of uh, kudos to Steven uh, Gerrard for leading the Rangers to their first Scottish Premier League title in 10 years, guys, uh, any thoughts on that? No, Sam, Sam, come- Well,
3: no,
2: no, Sam, Sam likes the Scottish
3: League, he always feels they get a little bit short shrift.
2: <laughs> uh, not really, but um, <laughs> I don't know any, any, anyone that wins the league nine years in a row, it's nice to see them get dethroned. Um Yeah, I don't know. I don't follow the Scottish League very closely, but well, but it's yeah,
1: yeah. It's interesting to see Steven Stevie G as opposed to Frank Lampard, who just got thrown into the sort of the the high profile job right away. Um, Yeah, I think
3: it. I think it sets up Stevie G for a for a good uh, Premier League um, head coaching job at some point. I think you know Brendan Rogers went to Celtic and had good success, and that kind of then springboarded him to the Leicester job, and look at the job he's doing with Leicester. So. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if in the next uh, couple of years you see Gerard as a uh, Premier League manager.
1: All right. Now, over the ball coming to you from Los Angeles now. So I'm going to do a little California-based uh, story here. Three California-based teams, the Galaxy, LAFC, and the Quakes, get the nod from Governor Newsom. Uh, Let's hope he's so, around
3: for... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean,
1: that's ridiculous. Everybody's <laughs> The, the <that's>, recall. <laughs> yeah, the recall. But uh, fans can start going April 17th at 20% capacity. So... Uh, the, the camps preseason camps opened March 8th ahead of the, the 17th opener but Toronto FC Grail talk about that
3: and their covid out of, struggle out of the gate and just positive cases all over the place so they had to basically open the camp and shut the camp so they're right. i think they're training out of Florida i think most of the teams are training either in Florida or or Arizona and so yeah they they're basically in a in a holding pattern and how, who knows how long that's going to be
1: All right. So I want to get to coach Fran O'Leary in in a little bit,
2: but before we do Sam, this uh, handball stuff has reared its ugly head once again. What are your thoughts? Uh, Well, yeah. So there's the, the IFAB has come out with, you know, updated rules on handballs, which I think a lot of people were hoping would be kind of a a return to some form of common sense. Um, I'll just read through them. You guys can tell me if anything has really changed. It doesn't really sound like it has, but um, you know, basically a handball is a handball when it, uh, a player deliberately touches the ball with their hand or arm, for example, moving the hand or arm towards the ball. So that, that's like it was before. Understood. Uh, or touches the ball with their hand or arm when it has made their body unnaturally bigger. A player is considered to have made their body unnaturally bigger when the position of their hand or arm is not a consequence of or justifiable by the player's body movement for that specific situation. By having their hand arm in such a position, the player takes a risk of their hand arm being hit by the ball and being penalized. So I don't understand. And that's that. a lot uh, of, maybe that's, that's, that,
3: that's just gobbledygook.
2: That sounds like legalese that I <laughs> don't even want to try to parse. Um, there's an article <laughs> in soccer America by Ian plunder who basically is saying, you know, they've wasted a year because this is nothing. No. Um, and right. I think that's kind of a fair assessment. Um yeah. There's also you. Uh, so if you score uh, directly from a hand arm, even if accidental, that's still a handball. Um, or well, that's, that's if, kind of different. You know, um, no,
3: I think i have used that in a game. I saw that crop up in a match a few weeks ago. I'm I'm saying classically, Grill. Yeah. Like
1: you know, it seemed like intent was the big thing when we played. It should
3: be intentional or accidental. That's the way it was back in the day when right. we played, and it
1: seemed cleaner.
3: It, it to me, it was much cleaner. I mean, it was just again, there's some subjectivity what is accidental. But, but what Sam just read, that legal statement that Sam just read from IFAB was just basically a
2: lot of words, word
3: scramble. Yeah, I, needed, I, I may have like I may a math
2: problem. A, I may have the last part wrong about the arm, uh, you know, and the, and the goal scoring. But, but the main point is, like, it, it's really hard to understand. Uh, there had also yeah. been hope that they might update the offside rule a little bit, yeah. which I was for, you know, where, you know, if any part of a player was in line with the last defender, I thought, that that should not be considered offside, but um they're not, you know, yeah. taking that, oh, that man step up. I just
1: when we talked about that last week about when it's a clear offsides, uh to just call it, to not let the play continue. Well, well now, the now way they're way. drawing
3: the arm like that line down from the arm, right? To the uh to 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 next to the defender and stuff, and it's gotten very, very fine.
2: Um, I think
1: when we played again, it used to be just the feet, I think, if your feet were on sides or off sides, that's what would would count. Oh, then it was, uh, what part of the body, is it a part of the body that can actually score a goal? So if it's the head leaning forward, it's like, oh my God. I just think
3: also too, like so many defenders are getting called when they, you know, they kind of twist their body, right? And when you twist your body, your arm tends to come away from your body, but you're turned away from the play the ball hits your hand. You have no idea where the ball even is at that point, and it's a handball. I mean, that's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah, now that sounded like an. That's an That sounded like ifab. All <laughs>
3: yeah. right.
1: So let's uh, let's take a break here. When we come back. We talk to head coach at the University of Massachusetts, Fran O'Leary. Fran uh, will just share the wealth of experience that he has with us uh, on OTB. You guys ready for this interview? Oh yeah. All right. Good. You're listening to OTB. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Ball, he has uh, been coaching successfully in the college ranks for over 28 years, currently the head coach at the University of Massachusetts, where he has successfully led that program for the past five years, a native of Dublin, Ireland. Coach O'Leary has spent uh, time in the professional ranks as well, spending uh, two years with Toronto FC and MLS as an assistant coach and also their director of player development. He was also a senior scout for Blackburn Rovers, so he uh, knows the pro ranks as well. And most recently, he's put all that knowledge to use uh, and put it out there uh, in an online course titled Inside College Athletic Recruitment, which focuses uh, in and on the college recruiting process, which is a huge, uh, huge uh, bit of information that's put into a nice online course there. Welcome to Over the Ball, Head Coach Fran O'Leary. Coach, how are you? Yeah, great,
0: Kevin. Thanks, guys, really nice to, to be on. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you know, we, we it's been such a, a crazy going on two years now, I guess, a year and a half with, uh, you know, coaching through COVID. Uh, that's one thing we want to talk to you about. But this is really interesting, this recruiting uh, online course that you have, because you bring a world of experience through college coaching, incredibly challenging this year with the COVID crisis, but uh, so many variables that weren't around when I was sort of coming up. I mean, kids are getting offers uh, as like sophomores in high schools to be in college, and you know, you've been in the professional ranks, you've been in the college ranks for a long time. How do you pick a player and offer him a scholarship or money when he's still developing? I mean, that's a that's quite a task.
0: Yeah, it, it's challenging. And as you say, Kevin, it, it's gotten earlier and earlier, even more yeah. so on the women's side, sometimes mm-hmm. early in their sophomore years. I think typically on the men's side right now, you'll see offers going out uh, into junior year. And the NCAA has changed the rules to reflect the earlier recruiting by allowing official visits to take place in the junior year. What what we found out was happening was kids were being asked to commit without ever having the chance to have an official visit to campus. So fortunately, the NCAA oh. changed that rule. It's it's difficult. And I think in these times, particularly now, and I addressed this in the courses, how you handle it um, in this COVID-19 era, because the NCAA has granted everyone in fall sports, in soccer, an extra year of eligibility. So this this will have a knock-on effect for the next three or four years. Why why three or four years? Because I mean, you know, as a
1: player, you kind of are like, well, when Bob graduates, I can maybe step into the midfield and get some playing time after two years of putting in my hours. um, It must be demoralizing sometimes for the players, but it's understandable for the other players.
0: Yeah, well, the, the the issue now is Bob's a senior, but Bob is also a junior. Bob's also a sophomore. So <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> uh, you know
0: what what will happen each year? The 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 coach of each program, you know, let's face it. If we have a a junior who's an all conference or all American player who's been a terrific kid and gone to class and never had any issues, it's obvious we'd like him to come back for right. an, extra, an extra year. Sure. I think the, the important thing now in the in the short term is for high school student athletes to ascertain from the, the coaches at the college level who are recruiting them, is there a roster spot still available? Uh, or do they need to postpone or push back their recruitment for a semester or even consider taking a gap year? I think we're gonna see this year, we're gonna see a lot of kids take PG years or gap years.
1: Yeah, there just seems to be a lot more to consider. And also the fact that, I don't know, I don't think I reached puberty till I was a senior in high school.
3: I think my girlfriend would say, maybe I haven't reached it yet. Uh, Grail, you have a question? Yeah, uh, great to have you on coach. Uh, I'm just curious uh, as as part of the whole pandemic challenge, um, what you're seeing, uh, the, the role of parents, which has always been such a big part of the recruiting process that you have to deal with. Have you found that parents, uh, have gotten even more involved in the process, which kind of led to this idea for your online course, or um, or, or how has that changed? I'm just curious how that dynamic has changed over the past year.
0: Yeah, I, I think even, even more so grailed in the past year, the past few years, I think what we're finding is young people nowadays rely or lean heavily on their parents for input. Uh, I, I believe though they should let their kids own the process, be there by their side to support them. If they have a setback and the vast majority will have setbacks, you know, we all want to go to school X, Y, and Z, but there's only so many can get into those schools. So uh, parents, you know, can either help or hinder the process. Mm. Uh, The the best ones I've seen have, have let the kids take ownership, take ownership of their soccer experience, take ownership of their search, but to be there by their side, I, I always feel that you know the parents should come in at the end because sometimes seventeen year olds I have, a, I have a 16 year old daughter. 17 year olds uh, have a tendency to hear what they want to hear. and right. it's always good before turning down one school, it's always good to maybe ensure that the feedback that they're feeding to you as a parent is the same feedback they've received from the coach. and the 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 other the other one point I'd make quickly is, you know, when, if they're fortunate enough to get an official visit offer, you know, meaning we would fly somebody in or a college coach would fly them in or pay their expenses, we're already sold on their athletic ability. We're, we're, we're making an investment of money and time to bring them to campus. So at any time with the parents in the office and the parents naturally, we're all proud parents. and we want to say how awesome our kids are, but that, to, you know, for a parent to tell me how great his kid is playing in the midfield, we've already made that determination. So best to maybe sit back and, and let the kid shine during this time in the office. What Talk about that a little
1: bit, coach, about how you, know, you have the athletic ability but so much more goes into it to be a Division One player or a college player at, at any level, really—not uh, just athletic ability, but their attitude, the type of person they are. Um, how do you sort of find that? You do that in a meeting when you sit down with them. How do you get a feel for the
0: the type of kid he is? Yeah, I think the, the the visit. it it helps you gauge, you're looking at maturity levels. You'll obviously have spoken with coaches, but Mm -hmm. you want to get a gauge of the the maturity level, how far along, what sort of supports will you need to put in place for each student for them to be successful. Uh, You you listen to the players, your current players, you say, you know, is this person going to be, is this young person going to be a good fit for us? Are they going to be high maintenance? You know, and and some of it you find out as you go, there's a lot of fun involved in college athletics, particularly in college soccer, but there are mundane aspects too. You've got to get up and be on time for class. You've got to be on time for video sessions. You've got to do your recovery properly. You've got to rest properly. You've got to make some sacrifices. So what we find, it's interesting every year we hold, over over all my years, there'll be walk-on tryouts, And sometimes you'll find a talented kid and you'll invite them in for. We usually invite them in, rather than for a day. We'll take them in for a couple of weeks mm-hmm. so they can get comfortable and show. And and more often than not, they they thank us for the opportunity. But then they say, "I didn't realize all of this other stuff. The commitment. I didn't realize yeah. Realize the commitment level, and it's it's not for me. So they may be as talented or close to as talented as some of our players, but they're they're just not, you know prepared or able to meet all the other commitments that go with being a college athlete.
1: You know, I walked on at UMass. It was an interesting uh, watch for me, but what I noticed over the years was, you know, everybody who comes into that program, here's a division one college program. They're generally the best player in their high school and probably in their conference or region, wherever they are, they all come in with different attitudes. I noticed some guys come in uh, with a swagger, uh and unrealistic expectations other guys come in with like oh my god i just want to make it and hang out and and it seems like it's a combination of the two that is you want to you know because with soccer you have to have your confidence and you have to have a bit of a swagger but you also have to have that hard work ethic and say i gotta pay my dues i got i tell kids they're like what will happen when i go to to, uh you know preseason? i go just be ready for the play to be a lot faster than you used to hang in there you know, uh learn, listen, and eventually that it's it starts to slow down a little bit and you can play at that level. But a lot of guys, and coach, you've probably seen this, they they're like two sessions in, they're like, nope, not for me.
0: I'm out of here, <laughs> you know. You, you, usually and, and that will occur quite a bit, Kevin, with uh, if we if we have walk-on tryouts, typically we'll have vetted the recruits um pretty thoroughly. So they'll usually mm-hmm. the the vast majority will hang in. Uh, I think we, we just put the guys in silos. We, you know, I'd be wary if, if a coach ever offered me playing time before I got in an environment with the team, because I always tell them if, if a coach offers you playing time, two years later, you'll be part of the team and you'll wonder what the next guy in the office has been offered. So we, we put yeah. them in silos. We we're here at UMass, we're allowed 28 players. That's our roster cap. And everyone comes in and so you're on the team, you're one of the 28, that's your first silo. Your second silo is, do we have enough confidence to get you some playing time? The third silo is, do we have enough confidence to put you in a meaningful game when the game is in the fire? The fourth silo is you're a starter and the fifth silo is you've tenure. You know what tenure is, it's one of the, you know, you're one of the top players. Most, if not all of our players, had tenure on their club team or tenure in high school. So we've got, you, you know, I've had players who've been with us for 30 minutes and they've had tenure.
1: And uh, you can I've just tell, you can just four, tell right? for mm-hmm.
0: four years. And unfortunately they never get up to the starting point. And that, that's, that's the facts of life in, in all sports. So how quickly we say, can you trend, right? Can you go from the roster to minutes, to hot minutes, to start to tenure? So everyone's working hard every day to trend right. Well, but you also, like, you, to go back to
1: an earlier point you made is sometimes the parents' expectations of their son or daughter is different than what their son or daughter's abilities are or their wishes are, and that's a, a, an interesting dance as well. Um, you know, I've, I've had uh, buddies, a lacrosse coach who, you know, he said the hardest part of the job was dealing with parents, calling every day, people who would never played the sport but felt their son should be starting every game, and uh, you know, in soccer, it's everybody's supposed to be the center forward. All eleven people, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, how's that dealing with the with with parents? Do you have a sort of a policy
0: with that? Yeah, we, we any anything health related. Uh, if they have academic concerns, if they're worried about the health of their son or daughter, we'll take a call. We won't we won't talk about uh, soccer.
1: I but would them, have killed uh, my father if he called my coach yeah. about playing time. I'd be mean, you out of yeah. your mind,
0: <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, we, we also, you know, it, it, it's a good point because eh, we're, we're watching games and, and if parents are acting up on the sideline, we're, we're saying we, we like their son, but do we want to bring this to our place for four years? Do we, want to, do we want to be dealing with this for four years? So a parent's behavior and how a parent interacts, if the parent is very overbearing, you're sort of saying it's it's, do we want to take this in similarly with a recruit we're we're bringing someone in for four years we're we're going to be committed to taking care of them Um, and then you know how much positive baggage do they have and how much negative do they do they bring with it Right. I used to say when I coached in the summer,
1: you know, with the kids, it'd be wonderful all week, they'd be playing and having a blast and enjoying themselves. And Saturday, the parents would come on the sidelines and start yelling. And suddenly, it was pandemonium on the
2: field, you know, suddenly (laughs) enjoyment was just squeezed out of it. So, uh, so Sam, you have a question for coach? Yeah, coach, I'm wondering if you could just give us an overview of what this season has been like now that you're up and running again and mainly what it's been like to sort of have the process be backwards, where instead of the spring being this kind of downtime, you know you've had the fall to prepare and obviously it hasn't been a normal situation, but you know just what what that reversal has been like.
0: Sure, sure Sam very interesting totally new experience for all of us Mm -hmm. we've come back Uh, We're we're in a very tight bubble. Uh, all the teams are. So We there's a huge attention to detail just to get on the field for practice. We, we test multiple times a week. Uh, the practice sessions, even, you know, when we're lifting or doing anything, it's you're paired up with a roommate. Your concern is that someone will test positive. The bigger concern beyond that then if, from a team perspective is contact tracing. So what shuts down a lot of teams Is not the first positive, but the people they've been in contact with. And obviously, teams have you know are close together. Uh for for us, it's been a lot of fun. We we came back, you could see, you know, life as a college student right now is pretty mundane. If they're behaving themselves, life is fairly mundane. You know, online online courses, uh, you grab and go your meals. There's maybe not a lot of on-campus dining options for many students right now and our sit down options rather so for us the release the fun is getting to practice every day we've managed to play three games we'll play a fourth game tomorrow against umass lowell and then we'll kick off our conference schedule so it's you know they've really the guys have really enjoyed the opportunity just to get out and play things we took for granted things i took for granted for me just going back to see again not even being involved in the game, just actually stand on the sidelines and be allowed to watch a game, was was a fantastic experience. Yeah, great. And, and I think the bonding
1: experience would probably be even tighter with the guys. You know, as close as the team generally is anyway. This is some tough times, and they they you know hunkering down together.
0: Very much so, Kevin. They have to rely on each other because mm. if someone strays out, this thing is so contagious it can it can go through a team quickly, and you know. The the last thing any team wants and there, there are teams that have been incredibly diligent and still because of community spread, a player will pick it up and then the team may get closed down for a couple of weeks. So far, touchwood, we've been fortunate, a combination, I think a good planning by the administration discipline from the players and a huge chunk of luck has seen us not yet lose, you know, lose anyone, but, but it's day to day we get, we test and then we wait for a call. Grail?
3: Yeah, uh, Coach, I wanted to zero in on that period where, of your career, career where you went from Bowdoin to Toronto FC and then on to UMass. And I was just curious what you were able to take from your college experience and apply to Toronto FC. And in turn, when you came out of Toronto FC back into the college game, what you kind of learned there that you could apply back into the college game?
0: Yeah, really good question, Grail. I, th- I think going in I I had experience as a coach. I I've been coaching for years. Um so I think that that stood me in good stead going into the position. I I learned a ton. I I learned a lot more than I ever imagined. Uh working working at Toronto FC. It's a fantastic organization. Uh, the the quality of the people, first-class organization. We were we were treated fantastically well, and it was an exciting time because when we came in, the, the team was bottom of the league, and when we left, it, it, it had moved up. The, the ownership, the investment was terrific. We brought in you know high-caliber players like Jermaine Defoe and Michael Bradley. I think it, it not only improved the profile of Toronto FC, but improved the profile of the MLS. So mm-hmm. I remember second season going in before before the World Cup, we played uh, Seattle in, in Seattle it was like 55 or 60,000 at the game. And it was, it was Clint Dempsey of Seattle and Michael Bradley, the two top us stars. So, you know, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking when I first came over to the States, I never thought the day would come where there would be 50, 60,000 people at a pro game. And it, it's a huge Testament to all the work done by, by hundreds of thousands of people over the years to, to see the league thriving right now, but I, I learned, I learned an awful lot. I learned the importance of recovery, from the the conditioning folk, the the periodization, how to handle travel, how to to recover. I think I took some of these things into UMass. That sometimes less is more. Our training sessions r- rarely, if ever, last more than 90 minutes, and we we've a, we've a hyper focus a couple of days before the game, 48 hours out. In terms of the the areas we use to practice and the, the amount of time we practice to try and have folk ready, players ready for the game. So I, I, I love the experience. Mm-hmm. Toronto is a, an awesome place. And I came away, um, I think, a, a much better coach for the experience.
1: So, so, Coach, to go back to your recruiting online course, it, this plays into it because just like you're looking at high school players, Trying to come into the college ranks and what you have to look for. Can you also talk a little bit about what you would have, you would look for as a player development person, let's say in Toronto, looking at a college player and trying to figure out who can transition into the pro game?
0: Sure. So nowadays, in in terms of scouting or player ID recruitment, whatever you want to call yeah. it, there there are a lot of programs, Instat, Y Scout. So before looking to sign a player. Uh, if you're if you're looking f- first at a, a pro signing a pro you'll you'll look at him uh you'll call it technical scouting we'll look on all of his plays on insta or on Y scout if it's a college kid you're going to you're going to uh, uh hopefully have one of your scouts cover some of the games mm-hmm. you'll then obviously nowadays again have access to tape and the MLS has had uh, combines. So you would look at the players at the combines. Uh, and then you you go into your draft and you hope you get, you hope you get the right ones. You know, we, we, were, we were fortunate in Toronto to take a couple of lads. Nick Haglund is still playing in the league. And uh, Nate Lovitz, who actually plays, has played several games for the national team. And they were both yeah. from, interestingly, both lads were not from huge programs. One was from right. Xavier and one was from Elon but they were the main guys in their programs. They, they, I won't say they carried the program on their shoulders, but they, they had a huge impact on the success of both programs. And that, that played into the decision-making process.
1: Yeah, but you know, so you're coaching kids that probably want to play professionally and you either recognize it in them or at, tell them what they need to work on to be able to get to the next level, correct? Yeah, everyone wants to play professionally.
0: Right. It, it's, you know. We, no, but to I, cut
1: you off, Coach, a, cu- a conversation we've had before where you said, you know, even when you were playing and you were getting close to, you were being in the pros and training with some pro teams, you're like, you said to me, you're like, I I had it one day, but I didn't have it every day. And you realized to play at that level, you got to have it every day.
0: You got to be there. Yeah, I, I think it's a cruel thing. So uh, sports yeah. can be cruel because when you move up a level, I think when you've reached your level, you can you know, we use the term spit out, you can produce four good games and maybe a subpar game. Mm-hmm. And then you go to a level where you're straining the next level up, but it could be right. high school to college, college to pro. And you you end up then having subpar games. But after three or four subpar games, you have a good one. And it teases you into thinking, you've got a chance. It's quite cruel, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, oh, it's like
1: golf, right? That one yeah. shot, good shot keeps you going.
0: Yeah, I, I've, I've hit a good shot, so why can't I shoot Play seven this game. Days? Yeah, right. so so that's that that to me is a gauge, and when we're looking at college kids as well, we, we'll say, he's done well today, but can he do well tomorrow, tomorrow? And then you forgive a a, a poor game if you think the next three, four are going to be decent. And it, it is. I've, I've had guys come in and say, what about this day in practice, or when you took me off the bench in this game look at me but they tend to forget the four other games and and it's just you just reach a level and you're straining even physically you feel because the game is quicker both physically and mentally you you, you feel you're not trying you're trying your hardest it's just the the speed of thought is is maybe a little too quick for you okay. grail
3: yeah, Coach. I'm going to throw out an incredibly broad sociological question here that could probably oh, no. <laughs> require an entire podcast. But I'm going to ask you to give it a go in a, in a few minutes in a short amount of time. Could you just describe, from your perspective, the complicated relationship that Ireland, the country, has with the game of soccer? Because I've always thought, having lived in England when I grew up, that it's just it, it's just it's just a very unique. Uh, relationship, and I'd love to hear it from your perspective in terms of, of of where it is and where it could go.
1: Jeez, that is a full podcast right there. That yeah. question.
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, no, interesting question. It's I think growing up, it, it it's changed quite a bit, and may now change again with Brexit. Mm-hmm. But growing up, it was the goal of every player to go. We we would call it overseas even though it was a short trip, to, to, to play in England. Right. There wasn't many scouts. Maybe Liverpool mm-hmm. and Man United, a small group of teams had scouts. So it used to be one or two would go away in any given year, usually one. And, you, you know, I, I knew at a young age, uh, we, we played a team, and there was a, there was a lad called Gary Howlett, and he absolutely destroyed me. And uh, I went home and my dad was saying, well, why are you so glum? And I said, well, I'm definitely not the one because this guy's, guy." and three years later, he was playing in the FA Cup final for Brighton against Manchester United. And nowadays there's a lot more scouting. It's it's a lot more complex, so it's not unusual for tens if not hundreds of young Irish lads to go abroad. The challenge in Ireland is for such a small country is getting full time professional league We're a country of four, five, six million. But we also have Gaelic football and hurling mm-hmm. along with rugby. So you, you could have an all Ireland final in front of 70, 80,000 people. So for a small country, you, the League of Ireland, the the, the the Aircom League, or the professional league is vying with Gaelic football, hurling, rugby and the attractiveness of the, the Premier League.
1: Mm-hmm. And not to get too political about it, but you know, was it encouraged for Gaelic football? Uh, you know it's a, a native sport, and that the soccer was basically an English sport, you know when uh, you know all the troubles were going on and and you weren't encouraged to play soccer?
0: In my time, no, I think more in my father's time, going back, you know uh, I, I know I look pretty old, but i I've, 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 I'm not dead <laughs> yet, but go, going back the years, yeah, go, going back i've I've heard stories talking to my dad about it was it was discouraged. Yeah. And now it's a, a, you know, it's, it's nowadays kids. It's play I, 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 I yeah. played both. I played Gaelic mm-hmm. football. uh, And I played a little bit of hurling a little bit of rugby. And I just found, I enjoyed soccer more. Uh, yeah. So that, that, that day had passed by the time I became a kid.
1: You know, I hosted a show in the discovery channel where they were going to send me to Ireland and I was going to uh hurl. And so I knew a guy uh, from Kilkenny and he's like, you know, I said, can I go there and I, can I train with the team? And I was fit. I was like probably, I don't know, maybe 33, 34. And he's like, oh, no, Kevin, you can't do that. I go, why? He goes, I can't guarantee your safety. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, oh, they'll kick your ass, Flynn. They'll <laughs> kick your ass, they-. I go, but it'll be for the cameras. And it? goes, oh, that'll make it worse. That'll make it worse. <laughs> uh, I,
0: I, 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 it's a true story. I was in secondary school, <laughs> no, maybe primary school. And we were playing at lunchtime and there was a Mr. Murphy and one of the lads hadn't done his math homework, and Mr. Murphy would cane you in the afternoon. So at lunchtime, he saw his opportunity and he clattered Mr. Murphy over the head. Rip his head. <laughs> Mr. Murphy goes to the hospital, and he, he never had to hand in a homework.
1: He
2: forgot so, about the math problem. Yeah, it was, <laughs>
0: it was okay. Yeah, it worked out great, you know.
2: Uh, Sam? Yeah, uh, Coach, to, to take a step back to, you know, the college game again, I, I'm wondering, you've been, you've been in it for so long. Um, do kids nowadays think they know more? Uh, I, I think we're in sort of an interesting time now where kids have grown up with the game of soccer fully as a part of culture here. I'm sort of in that middle ground where it was like slim pickings to be able to find a game on TV. And, you know, Kevin and, and uh, Grail, there was almost nothing um, do people Was TV even invented? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. it was for no. me, but not
1: for Grail. Really.
2: Communicated no, so. with smoke signals, basically. <laughs> maybe, maybe do they think they know more is not the right way to phrase it. But I mean, how different is it having kids now that have grown up with this culture surrounding them?
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good question, Sam. When I came over, it was difficult to to access any soccer on TV. And nowadays it's non-stop if they're not watching soccer they're they're watching you know, they're playing fifa different things mm-hmm. what i would say is i'd say they're more educated now mm-hmm. i think and, and with that comes a lot they're uh, a little more nuanced in their play and i think it's a really good thing the more exposure any young person can get i i always say you know people come in and say i can play for for umass or i can play college soccer the first question I ask is have you ever seen a college game? And half yeah. the time they say no, and i was like oh, how could you possibly know? tell that you could play? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Man, well, you, you know, it's it's like first time I stepped on the field, I felt like I was in Nam, just people shooting by us. So,
2: uh, so good. Sam, you have a follow-up? Yeah, well, not really a follow-up. This is my, my last little pitch effort. I think you might be the perfect guy for this. You know, we, we talk a lot about how the spring season, you know, we all want the split season in NCAA soccer. Um, but I'm wondering if that doesn't work out or even if it does, is there not room somewhere in college soccer for an open style cup tournament, you know, FA cup style, maybe we start just in new England with teams from D1, D2, D3 is there not some possibility that that could this is on? this is one of sam's
0: babies friend yeah i uh, i could tell you so right now when we're fighting to try and get a field for a, a game um, yeah. i think uh i would i would duck if you suggested that to a college administrator <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's another headache, I think. Yeah, and, you know, sure. to go back to the, the, the other point. Um, yeah, players know more now, I think, at a younger mm-hmm. age, but it, it can be annoying at times, I would imagine. But because, look, I've been at, uh, you know, NYFC games and Revolution games. To hear what people are yelling from the sidelines is almost embarrassing. You're like, what are you talking about? Like, they, they a little bit of knowledge, they say, like, in, in Taekwondo, a little bit of knowledge is very dangerous. Uh, that's when you get hurt. So, uh, But uh, so all right coach we've enjoyed talking to you Uh, this is great Um, you've 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 done a great job at every level in the united states and it's so interesting you're an american now raising american kids so uh, you know does your daughter play
0: yes yes avid player i I let her i let both of them own their own experience they Uh, they came around the and and I think, you know, I, I, I'd i like to think we own a lot, we own their manners, we own their their academics, we own their timekeeping, but uh, we let them own their, their athletic experience. She's played a few sports, similar to me, she played basketball, ran track, and I think just gravitated to soccer in the end
1: well that's let me ask you real quick because we got to get going but uh, about the way it is here with the amount of sports that are available to young people to play do you think mm-hmm. that helps uh because it seems to be going back a little bit to not being specialized but to be a well-rounded athlete is is that uh, something you've kept an eye on
0: yeah there's a lot of studies saying that if, if you want to develop your body fully you should play a variety of different sports i, I think it's it, it, it's different for each kid If if someone's passionate about something early invariably the majority tend to trend to what they're good at so uh, you know i wasn't very good at hurling. i was not very good at gaelic football i was a bit better at soccer so it sort of made sense to me to be a soccer player mm-hmm. um but fortunately for me that decision was left to me it wasn't yes. my, my mom or dad saying if you want to be a good gaelic football player you better train 20 hours a week i think for me you start out experimenting with a number of sports and at some stage you say, oh, this is my passion or I'm still enjoying playing a lot of sports. And it, either way is fine because it's 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 meant to be fun. Right. And if, if you get a little overzealous about it, you take away the you, you know, because the majority of kids, they, they'll they'll go to school and they'll work hard in school, but they're not saying, oh, school is fun today or old oh, chores are fun today. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they choose a hobby or a release, and it should be a release rather than a, a pressure, a burden to get a scholarship or get recruited by UMass. It, 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 it takes away from the essence of what sport should be. Well, a lot of components
1: go into it. You've uh, gathered them all in one place with your Inside College Athletic Recruitment online course. So check that out. Fran O'Leary, head coach of the University of Massachusetts. You've coached at every level in the college ranks and the pros. Uh, We appreciate you coming on Over the Ball and sharing your expertise with
0: us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Grail. Thanks, Sam. Really enjoyed it, guys. And best of luck in the game tomorrow, coach. Thank you. Cheers, Kevin.
1: Hey, remember to tweet us at over the ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Well, it's fun getting uh, caught up with coach O'Leary. You know, boy, I tell you, I'm, a big part of coaching guys is recruiting it's unbelievable yeah. and you know we talked to like you know other head coaches that we've talked to uh, you know mike noonan or something it's 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 a young man's game in many ways you're on the road a lot and uh so many factors to sort of think about and now the whole covid situation so it was nice for a coach O'Leary to sort of uh
2: shed some light on that whole yeah, I process think that's why he doesn't have the time to fully focus on the cup idea you know one, <laughs> you're cup exactly. sorted of that out yeah that, that got that's,
3: that's that. on hold that's on hold tip yeah. that got shot down uh, big time how quickly. refreshing was it too to, for him to just simply say it's about enjoying it you know yeah, i mean i hate to say it but i mean that is so critical because you have so many kind of kids that have been programmed and kind of overcoached and you uh, they get to college and they're like robots. I don't even know they're just doing it. You know, they're not even enjoying it.
1: Right. And I tell you, that's why they lose a lot of kids at 14, 15, 16 years yeah. old. And I also look at my college experience. I was so focused on playing in the pros that I did not enjoy my college experience as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you really do, you got to enjoy the here and now. And the one thing you hear about great coaches like Coach O'Leary or, or Noonan, um, you know, you, you, you say, they're part of a big program, they're part of a family, they enjoy themselves, they do their best. You know, it's like even going back to like a basketball coach uh Wooden used to say, you know, give it your best and I think you'll enjoy the the outcome there at the mm-hmm. very end and it's not about uh you know, me playing in the pros and, you know, I'm carrying this team or all that stuff. It's a, it's a lot life, to think about. Life's and life's lessons, right? Right, but and, and at the end of the day, in America, you're in college. You're in college and you're supposed yeah. to learn so many things socially and, and academically and delayed gratification, all that stuff. So it's, uh, I don't know, man, it's, it's a tough job. You're not only a coach, but you're an educator, a life coach, really. So, all right. So speaking of life coaches, each week, Sam makes us uh, think very... Very, st- I can smell brain <laughs> matter when uh, when Sam asked some of these questions,
2: but uh, what do you got for us this week, Sam? So, I only have one question and I apologize for that fact. I wanted to have two. Uh, well, you better apologize for the that. NCAA so, single season division one goal scoring records. Um, okay. and I was hoping to find that number for um, both men's and women's, but I could not find it for women's. So, oh. there's uh, an information gap there, or I sexist. Just uh, wasn't able to get there. But uh, anyway, can you guys tell me who holds the single season goal scoring record for Division One men's NCAA soccer and how many goals they scored? I
3: don't think it's going to be a
2: Kyle Rote Jr. or Ken Snow. Let me see. Um,
1: Uh, It sounds like that's a no, I would imagine.
2: How how would you even know this,
1: Grail? I bet you, is it a player that we even know?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's an unknown. I mean, I'd never heard of him, but I mean, it was yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, I, like, I can know. sort of. It's got to can... be somebody from like Indiana. St.
3: Louis, I bet. Louis, I can yeah. drip so...
2: feed some information. So it's okay. 1980. Oh, wow. Oh. Sure it's not me? All right. Uh, let's see.
3: 80. 1980. Uh... But it, but you said it was all time, Sam? Yep. The single season all single time season. record. Yep. I'm going give... to just throw out. Do you remember, uh, Flitty, do you remember Junior Salmon? Salmon? from
1: uh hartford yeah i played with him yeah we yeah. played in the Hartford portuguese together yeah. great player well, great hartford, guy
3: heart was hartford d1 or no d2
1: i think back then they were not d1 i think back then okay, but he, so he was a player play man him. he was a great guy he was a lot of fun um to hang out with
2: too uh i'm gonna no, just throw it, i'm
3: gonna throw out a crazy thing I, I know this is not right but it's more of a salute to the guy i'm gonna say pedro de brito for
2: UConn. Okay. Um, uh, well, no one's but right. Just so give me the team. So give me I'll the give team. I'll give you the team now. It's Appalachian State. Oh. Oh uh, wow.
1: And that was probably for Hank Steinbrusher, Maybe if he was. Uh, no, but I think Hank had left. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't. It's. Have uh, it was an African player, right? An African. Yes. Yeah. It was an African player. I don't uh, remember his name.
2: All right. So it's Thompson Usayan. <laughs> I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Scored 46 goals in the 1980 season. That's according to the magazine, the18.com. Wikipedia lists it as 45 goals. Regardless, it's still many matches. Uh, I don't know how many games it was. but uh, So he's a Nigerian player. He's also the all-time leading NCAA men's soccer goal scorer. He has 109 in 49 games, so 2.2 a game. Wow. So, so I think he was, he was recruited by Hank
1: Steinbrecher. He was recruited by Hank Steinbrecher. I think he played in the NSL as well for a while. Um, and I think Hank, I remember, got a big Sports Illustrated article about how well they were doing. So it must have been because of some of these players that he had, that he brought yeah. in. And then he got the BU job. So I'm surprised
2: um, I was not able to find the women's numbers because I would think yeah, it would be someone exactly. like Mia Hamm. Uh, yeah. Well, and it would but... be a
1: lot shorter. The history is a lot shorter, right? Or so, Michelle Akers,
2: yeah. maybe, or or was yeah. Hamm
3: more of a school? I thought Akers scored a lot of goals too.
2: Well, anyway, well, they all they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Okay. That's yeah.
1: interesting. Well, again, the NCAA sh- giving short shrift State. To. Uh... All right, guys. Is that all we got today? It's a lot. Uh, yeah. I
2: don't know when this is going to be uh, when the pot is dropped. I'll throw out a they... game this weekend. Uh, right. Milan Napoli on Sunday, three forty-five p.m. should be entertaining. That's on ESPN Plus. I've stopped with the betting picks because I'm not getting any of them right, and I don't feel <laughs> good about it. So I'm going to wait until DraftKings or whatever becomes legal in New York State, so at least I'm losing my own money.
1: Well they say what would, how would Sam bet and then you do the opposite. That would be it. That and works. People would buy too. So that's maybe some of our listeners
3: were doing that. Grail, what do you got going? Yeah, so we got this weekend, well just because of the history of it. It, it doesn't mean a ton but Leeds Chelsea just because that rivalry is just oh, yeah, hated. Yeah. So you guys
1: are consistent, you know, uh, Grail with the EPL and and you with Syria, uh, Sam. Well, that's uh, exactly. That's why. we. That's nice. It's a good mix here in the show and over the ball. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have today on OTB. I'd like to thank our guest, Fran O'Leary, from the Heralded University of Massachusetts at Amherst. Um, I'd like to thank Grail Hallett and Sam Griswold, my sidekicks. Uh, You're listening to OTB. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.